there's a great temptation in the Christian life to get to a certain point. And when you get to a certain point, you can kind of make the following statement as a declaration of maturity. And that, that statement is, I believe all of the right things, so I'm good. Christians have a, a lot of different beliefs. There's a lot of things that we, we stand on and we say, hey, this is what we believe. These are confessions that we make. And so it can be tempting to say, hey, as long as I believe the right things, everything is good. It's a very dangerous temptation. When in reality, if we believe all the right things, yet have unhealthy relationships, we've missed the whole point. That doesn't mean that beliefs aren't important. Beliefs are the foundation and shape the relationships. But we have to pursue healthy relationships. The Bible has been uh, a book that many would say, hey, is a book of a bunch of different teachings trying you to get get you to believe a bunch of different stuff when in reality the bible is a book about relationships the goal of the bible is for you and i to live out the design of god which is love god the second commandment that he said that summarizes all the other commandments the royal commandment they call in the book of james is love your neighbor as you love yourself so the whole goal of the Bible is not necessarily the right beliefs, but the whole goal of the Bible is right relationships. First, our relationship with God, and then our relationship with one another. Martin Luther kind of summarizes it this way. He says, there is no act that begins with the love of God that does not end with the love of neighbor. From 1 John chapter 4, where the author is writing, he says, hey, God is love. And if you say that you love God, yet close your heart to a brother or sister, how can you say the love of God is within you? For God is present where there is love of brother present. So Martin Luther really summarized that and says, hey, hey, if you say you love God, guess what's going to happen? You're going to end up loving people. They're directly related to one another. Right belief is vital, but right belief without relationships is unhealthy, and according to the Bible, would be a contradictory term. It's all about right belief, bringing about right relationships. How many of you have ever had drama in your life? Uh, some of you really need to examine. Now, how many of you had drama with? How many of you had drama with your snowblower? Couple, couple. Where does our drama usually exist? With people. I, I have never had anyone call up and say, hey, pastor, I was wondering, could I come in for some counseling this week? I, I've had just a lot, a lot of drama with my recliner. It doesn't seem to be operating exactly right. The drama's always with people. If you look at the stress in our lives, then you went back to the source of our stress. It's almost always there's connection with people people. It's for all of us. So, so how do we step into healthy relationships? I think everybody would agree this morning, less drama would be great. How do we pursue less drama? Well, it all begins with pursuing healthy relationships. This morning, I want to ask the question, how do we create relationships that are making an impact? This is our opportunity. How do we make a difference in the world? There's no difference being made in our community today when you and I stand up and say, hey, we believe in the virgin birth. 
the Bible teaches that, we should believe that. It's a foundation to our understanding of Jesus Christ. But guess what? Believing in the virgin birth is not making a difference in our community. What's going to make an impact in our community and our families is what? Relationships. You influence when you interact. And so how do we have relationships that are going to impact people? How do we have relationships that are going to energize us and energize them? Where you actually want to be with them, and here's the concept, they want to be with you. How do we have those relationships? That's our focus this morning. I would contend that we can summarize the whole understanding of God's design for relationships in three words. So this is the easiest sermon some of you have ever listened to. You just have to know three words when you leave here. And no one can leave until you know these three words. We'll check you at the back door. Three words. Pass it on. Say those with me. Pass it on. If you've ever attended a wedding that I've officiated, I apologize. You're just going to hear the same sermon that you've heard at a previous wedding. This applies to every relationship, marriage, family, work, neighborhood, no matter where, this applies. God's design and desire for our relationships is that we would pass it on. What do I mean by that? Pass it on. It's this. We pass on to others what God has given to us or revealed about his character. This is how God desires we relate with one another. Let's look here in Colossians chapter 3. If you have your Bible still open, let's dig in a little bit to Colossians chapter 3 where we begin to unpack this design of God of how he desires us to interact and to relate. First, look with me down at verse 13. Verse 13, the author is beginning to list some different characteristics that should be evident in our life. He says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. What's the basis for God's desire, command for us to forgive others? It's his forgiveness of us. That word as, just circle that word as in your Bible. That's an absolutely critical word. He's saying, hey, hey, do for them what I have done for you. What are we doing? We're passing it on. I'm taking what I've received and I'm giving it to someone else. The Lord's Prayer, which many of you are familiar with. They're right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. Father, forgive us our trespasses, sins, debts. Forgive us for the things we've done wrong as you have forgiven us. The whole idea is that we would pass on to others what God has given to us. So number one is we give to others what God has first given to us. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 28 and 29. If you want to write these down, look at these later. Ephesians 4, 28 and 29. The whole focus is what? Forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. And that goes in chapter 5. Be an imitator of God. In other words, do to others as God has done to you. So the first thing is we pass on what we have received. But the second element is... We pass on who God is. We pass on who God is. Check this out. Look at me. Colossians 3, verse 9 and 10. 
He starts the verse in 9 by saying, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So in other words, the author is saying, Hey, put away this way of living. These practices or these habits, set them aside. Because guess what? You now have a new self. You have something new in your life. So verse 10, And put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Simply put, Put away the old junk, and guess what? Guess what? Put on the new self, which is what? Supposed to resemble your creator. In other words, it's to be Christ-like. The whole idea here is that we're putting to death the old way of life that's governed by the flesh, and we're putting on a new way of life that's shaped and formed after the image of Jesus Christ. So first, pass on what you've received, but at the exact same time, pass on who God is. And so we see who God is, beginning then in verse 12. So if what we're supposed to put on is the characteristics of God, verse 12 tells us about the characteristics of God. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. In other words, all of these characteristics which resemble God, Jesus Christ's characteristics. If you study the life of Jesus, he's described as one who was compassionate, one who was meek, one who was humble, kind. And so those characteristics are being shaped and formed in us. We should be passing them on to others. So pass on. Think of it this way. We're simply passing on what we are becoming. We're simply passing on what we are becoming. And what are we becoming? Romans chapter 8, verse 29 summarizes all who we are supposed to be becoming. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The Apostle Paul's writing in Romans 8, just saying, hey, this is who God created you to be, and this is his plan for you, your destiny. Predestined means this is the place where God's taking you to what? Be conformed to the image of his son. See the similar language? Romans 8, Colossians 3. What are you becoming? You're becoming Christ-like. Well, if you're becoming Christ-like, what's going to happen? You're going to pass on Christ-like attributes, Christ-like characteristics. Think about it the negative way for a second. How many of you know a bitter person? What comes out of a bitter person? Bitterness, right? And if bitterness does not come out, you're like, wow, can you believe Aunt Francisca today? She was so nice. And it's so surprising why. Because she's a bitter person. So you expect bitterness to flow out or malice. Malice is the desire for something bad to happen to you. So what flows out of us is actually an indication of what's in us or who we are. So we're actually passing on what we are becoming. We pass on the characteristics of Christ because we are becoming like Christ. This is the whole goal of following Jesus Christ is that we become like him. Sanctification is the whole idea that we resemble Jesus Christ. Maybe you've seen the word disciple. I hope you've seen the word disciple before. You read the word disciple in the New Testament all over the place. Jesus called disciple. Back in the days of Jesus, a disciple was a student of a teacher. 
So Jesus wasn't the only one to have disciples. Rabbis, all sorts of rabbis and other religious teachers had disciples. They would go into town and they'd pick out individuals and say, would you be my disciple? And people were honored by that because that meant that that rabbi was going to pour into them. That rabbi was going to help them understand their teachings and their way of life. And the old saying about a disciple was this, you're supposed to follow so close behind your rabbi that you're covered in their dust so that you become like your rabbi. The whole idea behind a disciple in that Jewish time was that the student becomes like the teacher. The disciple would become like the rabbi, would implement the rabbi's way of life. The goal of a Christian is to implement the way of Christ. The word Christian, a little fun homework for you after this afternoon, look through the book of Acts and find where people are first called Christians. You will notice that it's not for a little while, so you're going to have some reading in front of you. At first, they were not called Christians. They were called disciples. After being called disciples, they were described by one word, two words, the way. They said, well, those people are part of the way. It's kind of, they're part of this movement. Well, then they came to this town and they're like, hey, what are we going to call all of these people? And you'll find in the book of Acts, they said, hey, let's call them Christians. Why? Because they're a bunch of little Christs running around. Because what? They're a slave to their master. They're just like Christ. Our whole goal is to become like Christ. And if we're becoming like Christ, what are we going to do? We're going to pass on the characteristics of Christ. The whole basis for our interaction with one another and for our relationships is pass it on. Pass on what God has done to us. Pass on to others the characteristics of God because that is who we are becoming. We live in a culture that isn't a pass it on culture. We live in a return culture. A big difference between pass it on and return. Our actions are not governed by the actions of others. I believe this is the number one lie. That if you would have asked me five years ago, I said, that's not an issue in the Christian church at all. That's like kindergarten teaching, right? Kindergarten teaching is what do you always tell, tell your children? You know, well, they don't do to others as they would do to you. Just because they hit you doesn't mean what? You hit them back. Right? We all know that, right? However, there's a lie that we've bought is that we are justified in our actions by the actions of others. What's happened in our society as a whole, our political leaders, our societal leaders, Hollywood leaders, everybody, what do they do? <laughs> well, the other groups lie, so we can lie. Listen very closely to when a leader gets challenged. When a leader gets challenged, listen to the follower's defense of that leader. <laughs> well, so-and-so does the same thing. Do you hear the defense? The justification for the behavior is the behavior of another. As followers of Jesus Christ, our actions are not governed by the actions of other words. In other words, we're not a return community. We don't give back to others what they have given to us. It's not a return. We're a pass it on community. We give them what's been given to us by God. When you begin to understand this, 
that it's not about what a person deserves, but rather it's about passing on what God has given to us. It changes your whole perspective of how you interact with others. What's governing your actions? Is it your spouse's actions? Is it your coworkers' actions? Or is it the characteristics and the work of Jesus Christ? We are not governed by the actions of others. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this. He said, we must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. Okay, like, whoa, where is that coming from? Break this down a little bit. Dietrich Bonhoeffer's really on to something here, saying, hey, when we look at people and we understand who they are, we do not judge them. We do not treat them according to what they do or not do. Why? Because they're wounded. Their behavior is speaking something about their heart. And so we have to start viewing people, not in light of what they do to us, but say their behavior is saying something about their own heart. And so when your family member, your in-law, your outlaw, your co-worker, whoever it is, when, when they're short with you, when they're angry with you, when they despise you, when they talk poorly about you, the Christian understanding of behavior is that it's not saying something about you, it's saying something about their heart, of what's going on within them, of where they're at. So actually, what this should do, this should move us towards compassion, not towards returning the same animosity. And so it's healthy to say, I need to view people and say, hey, their behavior is communicating something to me. And we're interacting with wounded people all of the time individuals who have been hurt. And what have the majority of individuals done? They've taken that hurt and they've packed it away in their life. And where does that hurt then come out? All over the place. How many of you have heard the phrase, hey, are you told the phrase in marriage counseling or whatever, don't go to bed angry with your spouse? Probably heard that, right? Good plan. Don't go to bed angry with your spouse. Hey, that's a good plan, actually. That's from the Bible. Ephesians chapter 4 actually says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Because here, it's an interesting play in the Greek words in Ephesians chapter 4. After it talks about do not sin in your anger, and it says do not let the sun go down in your anger, it switches to more of an anger submerged. This idea that your anger is underneath something, it's submerged within you, then what happens? You can't get it out. It begins to infect in everything in your life. Most people have been hurt, and what do they do? They stuff it, they submerge it, expecting it not to affect, and what does it does? It actually ends up affecting everything. I don't know a bitter person that can contain their bitterness to only one other person. When we submerge our hurt, we're going to hurt others. And so when somebody in a relationship is treating you poorly, it's not a call to return that to them, but what it's a call to you is it's a scream from their heart without them even knowing it that something's going on within them. So when we have that perspective, it helps us understand we don't return to them what they've given to us, but rather we pass on to them what God has given to us. Why? 
because there's hurt within them. It changes the whole perspective of how we view people. Behavior communicates something about people. It does not give them their value. If you don't understand this yet, you don't understand the main teaching of Christianity. You are not what you do. Your value does not come from your behavior. Our behavior is an outflow of our heart. Jesus isn't in the business of modifying behavior. He's in the business of changing hearts because he knows what? When you change a heart, you change behavior. And so this affects your parenting. This affects your parenting. Your child's behavior is communicating something about their heart. I've been in these situations. I've gone to counselors and sat with people, and the whole goal of the counseling session is what? To help them modify this behavior. And six months later, guess what? They've got the exact same behavior. So they've been taught techniques of how to live in that behavior. They haven't gotten to the root issue, which is the heart. So when your child has an outburst, we got to understand what's driving it. When your spouse is giving you behavior that's challenging you, understand that what? There's something going on in their heart. Maybe there's something going on at work that's bothering them. Maybe they're having a doubt about something right now. And so it moves us towards compassion to say, I want to understand what's producing that behavior. Pass it on rather than return. Passing it on applies to our thoughts and conversations about others, not just our direct interactions. This is maybe the simplest point the whole morning, but a point that I know that my heart needs to hear, and I think I can speak for everyone. Everybody's heart needs to hear because I'm in conversation with most of you all the time about others. And everybody would agree this morning is that, hey, yeah, it's, it's not a good idea to go up and say to someone, hey, you fool. But most of us are pretty quick when talking with someone else. <laughs> Can you believe that, fool? Do you think Christ's command to put away malice and bitterness and unkindness, do you think Christ's command to do to others as you would do to yourself applies not only to the actions, but to the thoughts and the words? Some of you are so concerned about controlling your actions and your thoughts when you're with the person. Do you know what actually would help the most? If you thought about controlling your thoughts and your actions when you're thinking about or talking about the person. Because you know what's happening? Talking about someone in an unchristlike manner only fuels unchristlike actions. Your unchristlike characteristics of how you're treating that person are coming from something. They're being fueled by your unchristlike manner of thinking or talking about that person. What are you saying about others when they're not around? What are you thinking about others? When those thoughts come, what do we have to do? When that thought about someone else comes, just take that moment and say, Lord, I pray for that what? That hurt in their heart. I pray for that hurt in their life that's bringing that about. Use it as a reminder to pray for that inner struggle that's going on within them. Because if we keep thinking it, if we keep talking about it, guess what? It's going to fuel what we do. And the reason we keep doing what we do is we haven't cut off the fuel supply. We must 
be careful what we say and what we think upon. The message of Jesus Christ is not return, give to others what they deserve. The message of Jesus Christ is, well, just don't do it around them, but you can do it when you're away from them. <laughs> the message of Jesus Christ is that we would pass it on, that we would give to them what God has given to us, that we would pass it on, that we would show them the characteristics of God, who we are becoming. There are a couple of questions coming in. We want to talk about those questions right now. Let's see here. Oh, really good question. What about the phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin? What about the phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin? So some of you probably grew up with this phrase a little bit. This is a common phrase in Christian circles when talking about how we relate with people maybe who are doing something that we disagree with, relate with people who we know are doing something wrong. And so there's an element of truth in this, and then there's a dangerous element in here as well. So let's break it down a little bit. The element of truth in love the sinner, hate the sin, hate the sin, is true that we are to love the sinner, right? Because what? Pass it on. What does God do? God loves the sinner. So that, there's a big element of truth in that. And what does God hate? Sin. Pretty clearly, don't take that from my word. Take that from Colossians chapter 3. I don't know the verse off the top of my head. It says, verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. On the account of what? Sin. Okay, the wrath is coming because God hates sin. So it's true, God loves sinners, God hates sin. Now, but when it comes to personal relationships of interacting with people, here's where the challenge really comes. When I say to someone, I love you, but I hate X or Y or Z, that person is often defined by X, Y, or Z. So they're unable to separate themselves from that behavior. And so when I speak ill of that behavior, hold your thought for a second, because I'm not saying that behavior is right. I'm just saying if I speak ill of that behavior, that person takes it as though I'm speaking ill of them. Because from their perspective, they can't distinguish between the two. Now, that doesn't necessarily make it right, but there's nothing in the Bible that says, hey, hey make sure you always go up to people, let them know that you love them, but you hate the sin. You can have this understanding and this perspective without articulating it in an unhealthy way. So, so here's what you have to do. You have to build a relationship where you can get to the point where you go deeper, where you can talk about the issue. So for example, let's um, take drinking for example. Dr drinking's a challenge for a, a lot of people, right? It's touched many of our families. Alcohol has touched a lot of families. And it's a, it's a big challenge. Addiction of any sort is a big, big challenge. And, and so obviously, um, addiction, drunkenness is spoken clearly against in the scripture that that is a, a thing which brings harm to others, harm to self. God did not design us to live under the influence of another substance. So it's a problem. But if, if I say to someone, hey, I love you. I hate your drinking. Again, their perspective is, they just heard you, you hate me. So here's what you got to do. You got to get into the opportunity where you can talk to them. Hey, can you help me understand, you know, your perspective of how you feel like this is helping you and your family? You're, you're, you're trying to get to the root of the issue. If you walk away, because some of us feel like, hey, that person has to know where I stand, right? 
that's driving some. They've got to know where I stand. <laughs> okay, if you think that they have to know where you stand, then you better tell them where you stand. Guess what? It's okay. God can stand up for himself. So sometimes they don't need to know where you stand. They need to know that you understand. So your first job is to understand and get to the opportunity where you can share where you stand because that's where God stands. So I would encourage you, I, I think it, we should drop the phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin. I, I think we should focus on the phrase, love people. Love people. And every person needs help working through it, walking through it. So that's just some thoughts Thoughts on that. Um, okay, what, these two questions here. What steps can I take to forgive my loved ones who continually hurt my other loved ones? What steps can I take to forgive my loved ones who continually hurt my other loved ones? This is a, I think when I asked everybody to raise their hand for drama earlier, this is probably where most of us could have raised our hand, right? The gift that keeps on giving is what? Family. Right? Does anybody, anybody's family not have issues? Um, so obviously we get family situations are different because they're what I like to call forced friendships. So when I, when I got married, all of a sudden what? I was like, oh, boy, I got to go interact with other people now. So what I used to always tease her, her friends are what become my forced friendships. And, and so family, though, is kind of a similar dynamic, right? You got forced friendships, which isn't a bad thing. It's part of God's design, actually, is that we have these units that we grow up in and build community, communities built upon families. So kind of that laughing aside, how do we move forward in such a close proximity when one of our family members is hurting other family members? Loving people, in 1 Corinthians it says, uh, love bears all things. Bearing all things does not mean we remain in all things because sometimes it's more loving. In fact, it is loving to not allow a person to continue that. It's not loving to bear all things if we're having a person continue in that because it's not just harmful for those who they're continuing towards, it's harmful for themselves. So I, I actually am saying that there is times for separation. There is times to say, we simply can't attend that family gathering because it's harmful for my children. It's harmful for my spouse, whoever that, whoever that might be. And if you get asked about it, right, and you're probably going to get asked about it. You, number one, don't lie. Oh, we had something come up, a little soccer game. Don't make light of it. Also, don't be a jerk about it. Well, we're not coming because you're a jerk. We'll see you next year if you've straightened up a little bit. Hey, just want to let you know we can't come this year. Some of our family members are struggling because we sense there's some anger towards them. And whenever we get together, it seems to fuel that anger. So we think it's actually best for our relationship right now and our internal relationships that we're not together. I'm sorry if you can't understand that, but that's our perspective and how we have to pursue health right now. What The whole focus of that was what? Me, us. You, you didn't insinuate anything on them in a, in a derogatory way. So it is appropriate at times to separate in that manner. And guess what? There doesn't need to be any guilt. 
you don't be like, oh, I'm not being very Christian because I'm not with them right now. No, you had to make a hard decision. That's loving for you, your family, and also loving for them, even though they don't see it. At the same time, so that's necessary at times. So let me give you a couple of real practical things. First practical step is this. It goes back to another point in the sermon. How are you talking about that other family member with other family members? So, so when you're talking with other families about members about that family member, here's what happens. You're fueling it by you talking about it, but guess what else is fueling it? You're getting other family members telling you their perspective, which is coming through their hurt hearts from their hurt. So now you're getting actually a magnified worse view of this person who's causing the pain. Are they causing pain? Yes. But sometimes you're getting a magnified version of that by engaging in discussion about it from someone else. So it goes back to that whole talking about them without them. Really dangerous. Got to be really careful about it. Second thing that is helpful is really this. In a family dynamic world, what? You know everybody's dirty laundry. So <laughs> you, you know the bad stuff. You know the issues behind the, the issues. That should drive you to a further point of compassion. If it doesn't drive you to a further point of compassion, you need to spend some time asking God to soften your heart. Because you, you should be seeing in that that what? There's other things that are driving, that are shaping and forming them of who they are. And so it should drive us to compassion, saying, I wish they had better experiences and better opportunities that would shape and form them. So be careful how you speak about them, but then also, you know, take into consideration the issues behind the scenes and pray that that would help you give a compassionate heart. So there's just some random thoughts on interacting with family, family situations. At the end of the day, when it comes to relationships, the three words, pass it on all come down to a central, glorious idea. Give people their true value. Give people their true value. Maybe you haven't thought about it this way before. Why is God compassionate, merciful, and kind to you? Because of your true value. Your value is that you're created in the image of God. Your worth and your value are not your bad behavior. Your worth and your value are not your upbringing. Your worth and your value are not your financial status, your ethnic status, your economic status. Your worth and your value are that you're created in the image of God. And so actually when God is extending forgiveness, loving kindness to us, what he's doing is he's actually treating us according to our value. Who we are created in the image of God. And so what we have the opportunity is to pass on to others that which reflects their true value, even if their behavior, their words, and their thoughts are not reflecting their true value. So God has done to you. God has revealed these characteristics. You are created in the image of God. Guess what? Every person you interact with are created in the image of God. And we pass on to them the characteristics of God and what God has done because of the value they have. They're created in the image of God. What has God done for you? God has forgiven you. God has withheld 
his wrath. Who is God? God is loving kindness, patience, mercy, meek, and humble. Do you want to do what's best for your relationships? The best thing for your relationships is not return, but pass it on. Pass it on. Say it with me. Pass it on. Let me pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the opportunity to come together today. Lord, we recognize that there are some difficult relationships that all of us are in right now. And so we do want to take a moment, Lord, and pray for those relationships, whether they be um, immediate, extended family, they might be neighborhoods, they might be um, uh, Bible studies, they might be neighborhood workplaces. So God, right now, uh, who is ever in a difficult relationship, give wisdom on, on, on potentially when to separate, when to step back. Give wisdom on words to say. And we also pray that you'd give the necessary ability and the power of the Holy Spirit to pass on to them what you have given to us and who you are. So Lord, we ask today that you continue to shape and form us to become like Christ, that we would reveal Christ to those around us. So God, we praise you and thank you for all that you've done to us and all that you are. Help us now to pass it on. In Jesus' name, amen.